Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, Executive Editor at Glossy. And today's guest is Alana Drell Zeifer, the CEO of Revive. Welcome, Alana. Thanks. So I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for being with me too, Alana. Obviously, this is uh, not our usual setup. We're not in person doing this, but um, You're not. I appreciate you doing this over Zoom with me. So I guess to get started, Alana, first of all, how are you doing? Like, you know, basics. How are you feeling? How's, how's the business? How's the, your family? Every, everything here is good. I actually, I live in New Jersey. Um, our offices are in New York City, um, but I have the benefit of having a house I have my own home office. My husband has his own home office. Um, I have three daughters. They're all in Zoom school, but we got a Wi-Fi extender, so we're we're all good. And you know, I feel I feel grateful to have space uh, and food and be healthy. So all good. Can't complain. Good, good. Um, Alana, I guess, you know, I think you have a really unique perspective because I feel like so many of the founders and CEOs that I talked to today, this is their first kind of um, economic uh, crisis they're dealing with. And, you know, you've been in the beauty industry for quite a while. And really just from a level setting perspective, like, how do you think that this compares to, like, say, the 2008 crisis, 9-11, the dot-com boom? Like, what are you seeing? What parallels are you finding? Yeah, um, that's a great question. You know, I, uh, yes, have lived through them all. Um, This is my first crisis as a leader, as a leader of an organization, um, both in, in, in 2001 and in 2008. Actually, at both of those times, um, I was working in large companies. And so I kind of watched how we reacted from a large company perspective. Um, But this is the first time that I've been in a small company. And I think, you know, the the measures are the same. You just um, feel them, I think, much more acutely. Um, be, probably because your resources are much more constrained and the effects, uh, I say, are much more immediate. So, you know, in 2001, some of the similarities were the world did seem to stop. Um, that week, I remember I was working at L'Oreal at the time. Uh, I had just had a baby, so I actually was home. Uh, but all of my colleagues were in Paris and they, they actually got stuck. And they couldn't get back. So, you know, that's kind of one of the similarities. And then, you know, in 2008, during the market crash, um, I think that we all just started doing business very differently. And I think at that time, um, I was at the Estee Lauder companies on the Estee Lauder brand. And we started um, shifting the paradigm around how we thought about prestige beauty and what the rules were. Um, And we started, um, it was a time where we started introducing smaller size products. For the first time, we were featuring kind of bestsellers at counter with prices. You know, we never used to show prices before in prestige. And so, you know, when I think about it that way, what's similar is, you know, my team and I are now thinking about what will be different when this is over. We've already started talking about um, the touchless service. 
Um, you know, we've started thinking about, we, we do a lot of business at Revive with facials, with professional estheticians doing facials in store. And we've thought about how consumer behavior is going to change. You know, we've, we think um, there'll be a set of consumers who can't wait to get back into stores and kind of say, I need a facial so badly, I don't care who touches me. And yet, on the other hand, we kind of feel like there'll be a group of people who will feel very uncomfortable about um, being in public and being touched, but still would like to keep their skincare routine up. And so what we're trying to think about now is how we service both of those of those customers. So in, in, in terms of changing habits, I think that's how it's similar. But certainly, I've never seen business sort of stop uh, for as long, if you will, as it as it is now. How would you say, Alana, um, your your status right now? You know, it's been a few years now that you're independently owned again. You're not part of the Shiseido Group. Um, how do you think that that maybe has insulated you, or maybe not insulated you from the current climate? Because you know, you see a lot of these bigger companies where you've been as well, um, you know, withdraw guidance, you know, maybe have to have obviously shareholders that they have, they're responsible to. But then when you're smaller, you get to, you know, be leaner, be quicker, be more flexible. So how are you navigating that piece of it? Yeah. I mean, I think um, we, you know, sometimes uh, the the benefit, if you will, of working in a in a global organization with multiple categories, uh, in multiple distribution channels, is it gives you a little bit of hedge, right? So, for example, if you have a, a large company where you have mass market business and prestige market business, and it's the year of prestige and mass isn't doing well, overall the company is okay because you have that leveling. In this case, because this is kind of a global pandemic, you know, we felt it early actually because we have developed a, a, a sizable business in Asia. So, in fact, this for us has sort of been a slow wave of things. We started feeling impact from Hong Kong, not from the virus, but from the the riots in June of last year. And then, you know, coming into January, we the China business was already starting to affect us. We we felt that as early as January. So even before the virus kind of spread um, to the to the West, we were going to reforecast our year based on things that were happening in China. And then, of course, March hit, and then it it hit us, but it it hit everybody. Um, and so I think what makes it different, if you will, than, than a big company is that um, we have a, obviously we feel it immediately. We have less of a cushion. Um, on the other hand, we're able to react very, very quickly um, across the board. So, um, you know, we just moved completely into, I don't, I want to say, you know, kind of a positive reactive mode to say, what is essential on what is non-essential. Um, and we sort of reevaluate that on a very regular, on a very regular basis. You know, the, the one of the very positive things about being small, when you talk about this idea of, are you in touch with your employees? Are you able to see people? Can you communicate effectively? 
you know, we're a New York office team of 25 people. So whether it's a Zoom call or a phone, um, all team touch base, essentially we have, we are touching bases at the entire team every single day. And then we've created a schedule where individual teams actually touch base twice a day to kind of make up for that in-office feeling. And, you know, that's certainly not something that can happen on a huge corporate-wide basis. Absolutely. Will you talk a little bit about that? Because, you know, I think that's something that a lot of beauty brands are navigating right now. You know, this Zoom culture, even though I can see you right now, is very foreign to um, the beauty world, this touch and feel experiential omni-channel kind of world that we were all leading into the last two years, especially. So now that you're able to kind of do business as usual to a certain degree, virtually, how do you think that will change things for your brand and for the larger market? You know, I, I actually do think it's going to change things a lot. I mean, immediate, we were in the middle of launching products. We decided to go ahead with it. So then the question is, how do you, how do you, um, get them to people from a press perspective and an influencer perspective and awareness perspective. So we, you know, immediately evolved to doing what we call digital desk sides and they've worked really well, actually. So that's one. The second is we're in the middle of market uh, showing fall uh, season, which we've changed a little bit, but we still, you know, holiday is still holiday and it will come. Uh, and we have done all of our retailer meetings through Zoom. Um, as opposed to either retailers flying to see us or us flying to see them, both domestically and internationally. Um, and actually, I think it's shown us that I'm a very big believer that you have to see people, you have to, you know, you need relationships are best built in person. But I do think that this has been um, a really good way um, for people to connect, uh, obviously, because they're social you know, interaction is so limited otherwise. Um, I think it's going to change how we do business. I think we'll travel less and we'll be more thoughtful about it. And I think we'll, we'll lean in more heavily to, to, to do it, you know, to zooming into meetings with people. I, I don't think it's, it's been a hindrance to communication at all. Absolutely. Alana, what is your feeling? You know, obviously you guys made a big push into China and to Asia last year with, you know, the different platforms, Tmall, Taobao, the gamut. Um, and you do have a large Asian consumer, whether they're traveling or here in the U.S. You know, what kind of uh, foresight did that give you, would you say, to your U.S. customer? And what was going to happen to retail here? Because I think it's shocking, you know, uh, you know, whether it's the Sephora Ulta story that we're hearing about or the department store story that we're hearing about or even QVC, you know, who's doing like uh, on the air from home. Like what what did that prepare you for or what didn't it? You know, I think that um, when things started uh, hitting us here, which was about mid-March, let's say, we didn't know exactly what was going to be happening in in China? I think now we know more. Uh, what we're hearing uh, from our our Chinese partner is that people are 100% back. Uh, almost all the stores are reopened, you know, and the Starbucks are reopened, and all the big box retailers are pretty much, you know, 95% reopened. Um, and people are out and about, and a new term has come out of Asia called revenge shopping, and and people are shopping. Um, and so, 
I think that gives us hope that when the stores do reopen, that is going to happen for sure. In the meantime, what it's also um, helped us think about uh, is that we can keep things going from a digital perspective because that did not stop. T-Ball benefited, Taobao really benefited. And so what we're trying to do is kind of lean into uh, developing more content, you know, doing more messaging, doing more tutorials, live streaming, et cetera. Um, and we're trying to think about things that way. You're fe- experiencing pretty significant growth last year. And since you've been at the helm at Revive, um, how do you think that this is maybe going to change or adjust maybe the way that you perceive distribution going forward? Because, you know, I know a lot of people are saying, God, I really wish I was in Target right now or Walmart, even though they are not in that necessary like mass, you know, play. That's not their position. But, you know, it insulates you from kind of what what's happening at these luxury stores or luxury salons and spas. Yeah, uh, definitely. And I think you really hit the nail on the head. I think um, there still had been a number of taboos for brands around certain distribution channels. I'll go out there and say them, the big A, Amazon, um, some of the third-party.com sites. You know, I think there was, for a lot of people, this sort of traditional distribution triangle where luxury was very much in the top. And um, I've been a big believer, and I think the team has been a big believer for a long time, that there is a break between distribution and positioning, meaning you can position yourself as a luxury brand because of the type of product you launch, the quality of the product you launch, the uh, creativity and also the integrity with which you message, um, but still make it available to people. And I think this is going to significantly accelerate that. I can tell you that for us, um, we're thinking about lots of less traditional ways um, because I do think that we are going to see a contraction in the traditional luxury market. Uh, Pre-COVID-19, Barney's disappeared in the middle of fourth quarter of last year. Um, I I do think we will see some shrinking in the traditional luxury brick and mortar environment. And we are preparing ourselves for sure. Would you say that, you know, by having that kind of more diverse strategy, especially going into the rest of 2020, you know, that could potentially offset what's happening now, or is it just too early to tell? I think it's, I think for me personally, we're working on some opportunities. So it's, it's too early to tell. Um, And realistically, um, you know, we, the way that we've predicted uh, April and May, uh, there definitely is dot-com business out there happening at all of our brick and mortar partners and our own dot-com as well. Um, We've seen an increase in brick and mortar in, in, uh, the dot-com business with our brick and mortar partners anywhere from 50 to 200% in the past couple of weeks. That said, it's still 20 to 30% of that total business. Uh, So it's not replacing uh, a total, a total omni business, even though it's increasing. Um, And so we, we, you know, we're basically looking at from a 
sell-in perspective, not a sell-out perspective, but a sell-in perspective, stores are, the, the retailers are taking from their in-store inventory to fulfill.com. And we've been very conservative in how we've predicted the months to be domestically. We, we think we will have no, we're essentially expecting no orders, uh, or that's how we're projecting our own cash flows from a very conservative perspective is we're assuming no one's ordering in April and May domestically. How would you say, Alana, that affects, you know, whether it's future launches or just what you are doing from a payment process perspective? Because, you know, I've, I've heard from some other brands, you know, like there are some retailers, they're still um, placing orders, but then at the same time, they're not filling, you know, they're not sending their checks in. So, you know, like, how do you make the decision? Okay, I could send more product to XYZ. But they're back. They haven't paid for March. I mean, there's a lot of really hard, like financial decisions you have to make. Yeah, I think, uh, listen, we um, have been notified by almost all of our retail partners. They are extending their payments to us uh, anywhere from one to three pay periods. Uh, wow. So we already know that. And we factor that into our, our cash flow, which we've looked at now over an extended period of time, because even if the stores open again, let's say it's June, uh, you have a two month gap in payments and then it's extended over time. And, you know, this is, this is a, a 52 week, uh, you need to, to really take a 52 week look. So, you know, we're thinking about the same things. We're thinking, uh, I'll go one by one. I mean, when you're a small company, uh, you know, people sometimes don't realize when you launch products, you buy them several months in advance of you launching them and getting paid for them, right? So we have made the decision to push out uh, our fall launches, to maintain a program for holiday, but to spend the fall season you know, focusing more on the things that launched uh, in spring because they didn't get their full due and sort of re-promoting and reanimating our basic line because we're going to have inventory in store and in our warehouse of, of basic business. And so we'll that's how we're going to spend the fall season, kind of just refocusing on basic and we'll pick up with launches in 2021. Uh, so we have pushed out launches. We've essentially stopped all non-essential spending. Um, and then, you know, we are also looking at where there are opportunities for us, where we owe payments to also extend those as well. And I think, you know, everybody is in the same boat. It's a little bit different than if you're working in a company where you're cash constrained and the world is booming around you. Everyone's in the same boat. Everyone is, you know, sort of has this, this understanding um, and appetite that we all are kind of in this together and that we're all going to have to wait a little bit longer. So that's that's kind of how we're looking at it. Alana, will you talk a little bit about the collaboration aspect that's happening amongst other brands? Because, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I did a story about furloughs and layoffs and cost cutting. And I was surprised that people were telling me that, you know, this CEO added them to this Slack or this uh, Zoom call. And it was very, very organic, something that they had not seen before in their own histories. And I imagine that's definitely um, happening for you because you're obviously being seen as like a leader in in the industry and bringing people together that way. Will you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, you know, I'm not alone, I have to say. And I, I think, um, you know, one of the things that I 
personally um, have always liked about this industry, loved about this industry, is that um, it is it is very co- competitive, and yet it is very collaborative simultaneously. And so, you know, having been in the industry a long time, I have a lot of friends from a lot of um, you know different places, and essentially starting, you know. I was coming back from the UK on the night uh, that President Trump was kind of saying he was going to close the borders, et cetera. And we were still traveling, obviously, and we were still working. Um, so I started, you know, just sort of writing to the people who run companies within the Tengram uh, portfolio to kind of ask them what they were doing. And then I started emailing friends. And then I realized, you know, if if we're all kind of wondering what everyone's doing, I wonder what everyone's doing. <laughs> so I organized the call basically of my own sort of, you know, friends and contacts, et cetera, which was a group of founders and GMs, presidents, et cetera, um, to kind of get on the phone and talk about like, what is everybody doing? It, this was almost three weeks ago. So sort of, what are you hearing about loans? Do you have other sources of capital? Are you pushing things out or is your warehouse still shipping? Are retailers, at this point, it was, are retailers still open or closed, et cetera? Um, and we have stayed in, t- the, the list has grown a lot, by the way. And a lot of people said, oh, can you add this friend of mine or this person? So the list has grown a lot, um, my list. Um, and I've continued to um, kind of be in touch with people with either um videos that I thought were interesting of some, you know, sort of Fortune 500 CEOs who sent videos to their companies about what it meant to furlough teams, uh, to kind of sending out trend reports that I've received that I think are really insightful about what the future looks like. Um, That's, you know, what I've done. But um, there are other people, um, Natasha Kornstein from Blushington also has a regular call Tuesdays and Thursdays that I tune into at five. Um, yesterday she had um, Lisa Marie Ringus from 24-7 kind of speak about um, the best way to be in touch with your team at this time. And uh, obviously the subject of furlough came up uh, the week before she had happens to be her father-in-law, but he's also the ambassador to Hungary on. Uh, David Kornstein kind of talked about his experience in retail uh, and what to learn from managing a crisis. Um, So that's, you know, that's another person who I know is is kind of doing these things. And then I was also on a call yesterday uh, with somebody named Sterling Murray. Uh, He runs an organization company in the UK called The Red Tree. We happen to use them as um, partners in the UK. And he did the same thing in the UK. He had a call um, with kind of the head of the British Beauty Council and um, the head of one of the the major PR firms for beauty, Wizard PR. Um, And there were actually a bunch of people on that call who I had worked with it at different times that I ended up reaching out to afterwards, someone who's kind of like a consumer behavior specialist, um, just because everyone, you know, this is unprecedented. Nobody knows what's going to happen next. Um, a lot of people are uh, suffering and aren't going to make it. Um, and I think that the industry 
um, in its own very kind of grassroots way is really banding together to help each other. Um, I see it across all of the industry um, sort of groups as well. Everyone from Beauty Independence, CW, you know, everybody has resources available to people. I, I, I think it's it's really terrific. How are you able to kind of triage like day-to-day business, you know, what you have to do, but also be forward thinking when you're thinking about, you know, SBA loans or whose lawyer you're using or, you know, I mean, and you're not only thinking about it from your own aspect, but within your own four walls, but you're also dealing with many other founders or operators or CEOs who are going through it. So how do you decide what what's worth your time at any one moment? Because you could be pulled in a lot of directions. Yeah, and you use a word triage. Actually, <laughs> that's the perfect word. Um, we have a history in at Revive of triage. When when we separated from Shiseido, we were that's essentially what we were doing. We were uh, working with a group of consultants to help us separate the company, build a new company, and run a company simultaneously. So we had this culture of twice a day meetings every morning at nine and every afternoon at five for six months, essentially, where we triaged hot issues for the day. And it's stayed part of our culture. Uh, now in normal times, we do a Monday morning triage where the whole company is on the phone. There's a Google doc of running hot issues and we go through them and they're generally hot issues uh, that require multiple people in the company to touch them. And so I think we've taken that type of mentality to this. Um, you know, the first week was very much about employees and are people working, not working? Are people, um, are stores open or closed? You know, what did we need to do for the safety of employees? The second week, I think, was very much about expenses. And the third week was about communication, about changes that were coming from budget cuts. And now I think the way uh, that we're focusing on things is it's, it's kind of a division of labor among the senior members of my team. Um, I'm trying to focus on what do we need to do? How do we think about the future? How is the future different? And what do we have to build to get there? Uh, my CFO uh, is working very closely with Tengram A on sort of now the managing of the cash as well as all of the different types of loans. Um, the sales team is, you know, kind of very focused on just making sure the team is okay. And the marketing team, because we've pushed out launches, is really focusing on day-to-day consumer communication um, and relevant communication to what consumers want to hear from us today. So that's kind of how we're thinking about all the ways that you're pulled in different in different directions. Alana, will you talk about the future in terms of, you know, obviously there's a push for digital right now and really, really engaging customers there. And even some of these platforms that may not have made sense, you know, even a year ago, like TikTok or going back to Facebook Live, which is having a resurgence, you know, when you have to be forward thinking, you know, at this time, you also have to do it with less resources, maybe a a smaller marketing department or smaller agencies at your disposal. So how are you able to be, you know, forward thinking, like we're, we're hoping all to be, but also being um, 
focused on the now, you know, you're able to uh, be experimental, but then also be able to say like, what is essential to the business? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, um, that's where being small helps and that's where the regular communication helps. I mean, um, in a way, you know, when you work with lean budgets anyway, you build a lot off creativity. You also build a lot off, you know, there is a lot that you end up um, kind of trying to create with relationships and goodwill. So, you know, you talked about sort of brands coming together and partnering from an information perspective. I also think it's a great time for brands to come together and part to do brand partnerships like, um, you know, we'll promote you, you promote us, it's doubling your audience for free, right? So we're, we're trying to reach out to brands to do those kinds of things. Um, we've always done, you know, kind of a lot of grass, we, we film our own videos, we do our Facebook lives, you know, Dr. Brown uses Facebook Live, Instagram Live, he's learned how to Zoom, we've done a dual Instagram turn uh, takeovers together, you know, I think that's the benefit of being small is that you really can try things pretty quickly. Um, and when, especially when you aren't working on what's traditional for the future, the fall launch, what does that press release look like, et cetera? It drives you to the now. It, it, it really makes you focus. Um, and I, I applaud my team for really, uh, for really turning uh, themselves that way. And truthfully, we're busier than ever. I mean, honestly, we're just like on all the time. I can imagine. So when you think about digital and also the platforms, Alana, I mean, are you, are you guys going on TikTok? Are you going to be back on like, you know, are you dancing yourself on the platform? Like, what are you thinking about? That's like maybe innovative or out of the box that we can come to expect maybe next week, the week after, since we are moving moment to moment. (laughs) Well, we have not, um, we are not TikToking yet, although I definitely um, have a house full of TikToking teenagers. Um, But we have already done a dual Instagram uh, live with me and Dr. Brown with with, uh, customers writing questions into us. Um, We're working on a gratitude campaign that we're all shooting ourselves at home. You know, we're already... um, doing a, a campaign that we're about to go live with that benefits healthcare workers and ways that they can shop on the site and receive a discount. And we're also um, launching uh, virtual consultations so that um, people can get a one-on-one with somebody who knows Revive well and still learn about their skincare. You know, all of those things are, are things that we're, we're starting to do. Um, and we're starting to look at, at other things. You know, today our e-commerce is a, you know, traditional e-commerce site. And I think one of the things that I'd really love to look at for the future is more of an outbound selling opportunity where we actually have digital sellers, um, you know, people who are kind of going DTC to customers. We have that model with one of our retailers, and it's really one of the things that's helped us stay alive um, uh, during this time. And I think I think we're learning from it to see if it's something that, that we can actively do ourselves. Do you mean that in the way of like a modern social selling kind of model or? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 
I've actually heard that that's, you know, MLMs and social selling is back. Like, I mean, if anything, like right now, you know, it gives people the opportunity to A, work, but also, you know, find opportunities to connect with people in that kind of influencer way that it was supposed to be. Um, I guess, I guess, lastly, Alana, for you, I mean, there's a, a balance, I think, happening within a lot of different brands. It's when to stay quiet and when to go on air on all channels. Where do you think you guys are this week? Um, you know, this week we, we have, you know, I think the balance is like, how much do you talk about product and how much do you talk about, um, context and this current context? And so we have been launching product. Um, we happen to think that the products we're launching are kind of appropriate to, to this time, um, especially with all of us being on Zoom, we're, we're, we happen to be launching something that gives instant glow. So, you know, who doesn't need that? Um, we are definitely being mindful. Um, I mean, we are never really very cheeky, but we're definitely being mindful to, to be positive. You know, we're a brand based in science and we're about cell renewal. And what we're trying to think about is renewal. Um, people. People want to think about renewal and the future. And that's kind of how we're trying to, to, to utilize tone. Um, and we're also trying to be, you know, think about gratitude. Dr. Brown wrote to everyone to kind of say, most importantly, when he was a physician, it was the care of his patients that he cared about. He started Revive and he always felt like his customers were an extension of his practice. And he just wants people to be safe. And so we're trying to utilize that voice also and just kind of balance between the two. Um, so that's, that's how we're approaching it. Thank you so much, Alana. It sounds like that is like just the right kind of tone that you need in this climate, in this environment. I hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it, Priyan. Great to meet you and thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Tune in next week for another episode. And of course, that means if you haven't subscribed, please hit that button.